friends, what, what you've just experienced, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, that's what's going to see people transformed. That's what's going to see nations being brought hope. Like, I'm not kidding. When, when, you, when I say you've just wrecked me, I had a plan of uh, what, what I felt the Lord wanted to share this morning. And um, I'm probably going to get to some of it, but uh, perhaps I'm going to do a bit of a detour as well. Uh, so I want to, uh, let's just pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. It's a love that knows no bounds. It's a love that reaches into deep, dark holes. It's a love that saves. It's a love that qualifies when we're feeling disqualified. It's a love that heals when we're feeling broken. It's a love that restores the image of God in our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here with us right now. And we just invite you into the conversation. We invite you right now to be speaking into our hearts. Lord, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts that we would not just allow our staid thinking to be a blockage to what it is you want to accomplish in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, for, for those of you who haven't yet met me, and I, I do know quite a lot of faces, it literally feels like I'm sharing with, with family this morning, and uh, we've only been here four days. But uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Trevor, and uh, I, I've always wanted to introduce my family. So behind me, there's going to be a picture of my family. Thank you for that overwhelming response, I thought... <laughs> That was literally the best photo I could find. I went through it. I, no, I'm joking. But uh, that's, uh, that's a family pick from last year, December. Uh, my wife, Abigail, our daughter, who's now 12, Tyra, and our, our boy, Kale, um, spelt with a C, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> but uh, but they, they have literally sent me. Uh, we, we are getting in our kids' hearts uh, what the gospel of Christ Jesus requires. Friends, the gospel of Jesus is not a staying gospel. It's a sending gospel. And what you've just heard this morning as Ant was sharing, it's an invitation to something more of what God has, not only for this church, but for you, for your family. So my family couldn't be with me this time, but they sent me. Um, they said, Dad, you better bring us some gifts when you come home, but, but we send you, we send you. And uh, what, what I feel the Lord has on his heart for, for Forest Town Church today is that God wants to send you into the next season of his plan for you. So I'm used to a South African audience, so every once in a while you can, you can give a clap. We, we've started a new thing at our local church. If one claps, we all clap. And so I'm going to try that out, see if it's, yo! 
It may, it may just be my parting gift to, to you. I don't know, maybe. So what I want to do is, is I really feel that the Lord is wanting, am I allowed to go off here? Is that okay? Um, I, I, someone's like, oh, get back on. Sorry. Um, but, but I really feel God is wanting to invite you. He's, he's wanting to reach into the space where you're most comfortable and he wants to pull you out into a place of purpose. Who of you knows that the greatest enemy of purpose is comfort? Let me, let me try that again, maybe this side. Who of you knows the greatest enemy of purpose is comfort? So what I want to invite you into this morning, it's a journey of purpose. It's a season of purpose. Forest Town, Jesus has got big things in, plan, uh, in store for you. He's got big things in His plan for you, but it's going to take a response. So I want to talk today about a process of moving from a mantle being cast to a mantle being taken up. I believe that seated in front of me today is a people of promise. But in order to walk into the fullness of God's promise, you have to shift from having a mantle cast to a mantle taken up. Now, some of you are like, oh, what, what? What is this man talking about? So if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, don't worry, I'm going to tell you. So there's a story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was this prophet who God had used mightily, but he was getting to the, the end of his ministry. And so God instructs Elijah to go and anoint a successor. At that point in time, in terms of, in terms of history, God spoke to his people, not di directly one-on-one, -on -one. he spoke to them via prophets. And so the position of a prophet was incredibly important because without the voice of a prophet, people couldn't hear God. And so Elijah goes and he seeks out Elisha, who God is now going to anoint. And I want to pick up in uh, the, the, the story over here. And I'm going sort of like movie vibes to the end of the movie. And then we're going to come back to the beginning and see how we get there. I, any of you watch those movies? It's like it starts and you're like, what is happening? And then it goes like three days prior. So, so I want to take you to the end, and I want to show you what I believe God is promising Forest Town Church. So uh, where we headed, 2 Kings 2, verse 9. When they had crossed, and you'll see later that they crossed the Jordan River. It's almost the end of a road that Elijah is walking with Elisha. It says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, I'm not sure who of you are here today. I'm not sure where you are in your journey of faith. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you're new. Maybe this is your first time in a church context. But if you've been in a church environment for a little bit of time, you would perhaps have heard of this terminology of a double portion. Anyone heard of that terminology? Okay, so... so this is one of the instances in biblical narrative where it is most evidenced. And I used to think like, yo, Elisha, what an audacious guy. Like you've got this prophet, Elijah, and he is like prophet of prophets. Um, he doesn't even die. He gets taken up in like chariots of fire to be with God. So he's like, he's like, he is legit. He's like hall of fame prophets in heaven. And so Elisha comes and he 
I used to think was so audacious. How can you ask for a double portion of what Elijah had? I used to think, yo, that's like, that's like on the edge of being a little arrogant. Until I started looking and realized that Elisha understood inheritance laws. He had given up his vocation. And we'll see that in a moment. When, when Elijah cast his mantle at him, it was an invitation into something more. And Elisha gave up what he knew. He gave up his inheritance. He gave up his family lands. And he started following Elijah like a son would a father. He started honoring Elijah like a son would a father. And so when he asks for a double portion, it wasn't being audacious. He just knew if I was a son, a firstborn son, I had a legitimate right to a double portion of my father's inheritance. And so in my mind, something happened. I, I went from being like, yo, that, that audacious guy, I don't know if I would be that arrogant to ask for a double portion, to the Lord stirring on my heart saying, do you understand the inheritance I have for you? Do you understand that it is my desire for you to walk in a double portion? But friends, there is a process to get to the end of the story. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. So let's start off in 1 Kings 19 verse 19. This is where God has just told Elijah to go and anoint a new prophet. This is the person of a promise. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a person of a promise. Okay, now, now, now say to the person next to you like you actually believe it. You are a person of a promise. There we go, a little, little bit louder, I like that. Okay, so 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So he departed from there, talking about Elijah, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Would you mind saying cast his cloak? And then he left the auction and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Would you mind saying assisted him? So, so here's the thing. Elijah, this great man of God, goes to Elisha, and, and something which, like, I'm not sure how happy Elijah was towards the end of his days. Like, if you read Scripture, you, you'll see he, he stopped being absolutely obedient to the Lord, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into Scripture, but it seemed like he, he had a little bit just of an attitude going down. So God actually told Elijah to go and anoint Elisha as his next appointment. And so this, this is Trev's dramatic reenactment. So like Elijah, not, not that stoked with God. He's, you know, he killed the prophets of Baal and he thought the whole of Israel was going to repent and, you know, they were going to come back to the Lord and they don't. And he, he then goes to a brook and he's like, oh Lord, just kill me. And God's like, don't be silly, you know, come and seek my face again. Then he goes to Mount, Mount Horeb and he encounters God and he's in a cave and God says, come out of the cave, I wanna to speak to you. And he stays in the cave and he stays in the cave and he stays in the cave and eventually, you know, he comes out the cave. But when he comes out the cave, he doesn't 
engage God face to face. He's got a veil on. And so like it's all these little nuances where you're like, oh, Elijah, if you were a boy in my house, I'd be like, no, change that attitude. <laughs> and so I'm just giving you a bit, of, a bit of context. So Elijah, instead of going and anointing Elisha, he, he sort of walks up, sees him playing. He's like, oh, this is a guy. He's like, throws his you know, coat at him, throws his mantle at him. That's like the invitation to come and follow. Throws his coat at him and he's like, walks off. He's like, please don't follow, please don't follow, please don't follow, please don't follow. And Elisha grabs the coat, realizing what's just happening, runs after Elijah and he says, like, like, can I just go? I'm coming. I just want to go say goodbye to my family. And he's like, whatever, dude, don't, I don't care. And he like sort of walks off. Can, can, you, can you see? Like this may be Trev dramatizing, but like when you read scripture, like I've really said, I don't know how happy Elijah was at the end of his life. And so that's how Elisha Responds, but sometimes English can do us a disservice. So I love going back to some of the original words. And that original Hebrew word for assisted him, would you mind saying assisted him? That Hebrew word actually means to attend, to contribute to, to serve, or to minister. So can you imagine? And again, dramatizing may not be the case, but, but like when I read scripture, I can see the plausibility of this idea. God calls Elisha to serve someone who's a little grumpy. And he's like, I don't only want you to serve, to, uh, to serve Elijah, I want you to minister to him. That word that is used for assist him is the same word that is used over and over in the Old Testament when God calls someone to minister. That is like giving your all. I believe that that was part of the test that God wanted to see to say, is Elisha fit for service? Is he willing to serve? Is he willing to contribute to? Is he willing to, to bear himself up for another? Friends, the starting point of a double portion inheritance I believe God has for Forest Town Church starts with you being willing to serve this local church. I think more and more in the culture that we live in, people are becoming less and less interested with the local church. I have conversations with people and they're like, Trev, the Bible says we're two or more gathered in God's name, he's there, so that's church. And I'm like, it, it is an expression of the church, yes. But if you allow Scripture to tell you what is truth, you will see in Scripture, when God refers to a New Testament church, there is structure. There is governance. The, the highest governing authority of a New Testament church is the function of elder. Did you hear I didn't say position? Because when we look around at local churches today, friends, there are many local churches who have got it wrong. But just because some have got it wrong, let's not throw out what the blueprint of God is for a better idea that we perceive. Hey. I just need one person to clap now and I'm going to get feedback. Thank you. 
But, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I have a deep love and a passion for the local church. And I realize sometimes the local church can seem a bit like grumpy Elijah. Yeah? Can we, can we be real with one another? Like I've been in local churches where, where I can have plenty opportunity to get offended. I can have plenty opportunity to be like, oh, that dude is full on grumpy pants. Like, no, I'm gonna go do my own thing. And that's the whole point. You see, because you can choose to outwork your calling outside of local church and you won't have to deal with grumpy pants people. You won't have to deal with conflict. You won't have to deal with offense. You won't have to deal with all of that stuff. But then how is God gonna test you and develop you and grow you? You see, God wants to use people that have gone through a process. Everyone wants to get to the end of the story where there's this double portion inheritance that we get to walk in, but not very many people want to walk the process. Can I tell you what process does? This is going to come up behind me. Process requires belief. It teaches humility, it tests motives, and it develops character. I believe that when Elijah called Elisha, Elijah wasn't in the best mentor coaching mode ever. He wasn't like, I just want to get this young guy. I want him to sow in his life. I want to see him succeed. I really think that Elijah was at the end of himself. And I believe God wanted to say, Elisha, do you believe I have called you? Let me, let me throw some challenges towards you. Let me see if you believe what I've requested of you. I believe that there were moments where Elisha had to be tested in his humility. Was he willing to serve an imperfect Elijah? I believe that God used Elijah when he was not at his best to start bringing out the best in Elisha to start testing his motives. Is this about you, Elisha, or is this about you being a mouthpiece to my people? Is this about your self-promotion or is this about you moving beyond self to serve people who are not gonna receive what it is you've got to tell? I believe God was using this opportunity of an imperfect Elijah to develop the character of Elisha. So, how do I believe God wants to encourage you this morning? Um, I was planning on, on reading the text. I'm not going to do it just to save a bit of time. But I'm going to ask you to go to 2 Kings 2 verse 1 to 9. And I, I want to ask that you read that text and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you. But, but as you read that text, you, you'll see a couple of things. Firstly, Elisha knew that God was gonna take Elijah from him. And on three separate occasions, Elijah says to Elisha, will you stay here? He gave him an out. He gave him an opportunity to say, you know what? Like, like I'm over this. I'm staying here. You said I can, so I'm gonna take that out and, and I'm gonna stay here. But on three separate occasions, Elisha responds and he says, let me find it and then I'll tell you exactly what he says. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. On three occasions he says that. 
just a bit of Bible study here. If you see anything in threes, it generally means it's important. Take note. That, that word, I will not leave you, is the same Hebrew phrase that Ruth used when her mother-in-law, Naomi, was going to go back to her land. And she says to Ruth, stay here. And Ruth says, I will not leave you. I will not loosen myself from you. And we know the story about how Ruth becomes part of the lineage of Jesus because Boaz is her redeemer. Friends, like Forest Town, I believe God is saying, will you prize my local church bride again? Will you take your gifts and talents? And yes, you can use them for me, but can you submit them into a local church? Can you serve through a local church so that you don't only reap a harvest, but you reap a double portion harvest? Friends, you can choose to use your gifting outside of local church and, and God can still use you because he is faithful. But I believe if we wanna see cities transformed and nations changed, God can't do it when we've got stuff in our hearts. He has to reveal that in our hearts and we have to deal with it in an appropriate way. And as we do that, I believe we are going to be positioned for a rightful double portion inheritance. I, I was in the UK quite often. Uh, I'd worked at a big corporate in the UK and I was traveling between South Africa and the UK and uh, I went on a trip to Singapore and Australia to go with our church. Something happens when your feet set foot in foreign territory on mission with Jesus. I, I wanna encourage you, plan in this next year to set your foot, uh, feet in foreign territory for the sake of Jesus. So, so as I was in Australia, I felt the Lord saying, you're one degree off what I've called you to. And that one degree is gonna land you in somewhere where I haven't intended for you to be. And I remember going home and my wife and I making some radical shifts in our lifestyle. We prayed a prayer, Lord, would you disentangle us from, from when, where we were? And God miraculously disentangled us from businesses that we were part of, not in the way that we wanted, but he disentangled us. And, and I always used to look back at that moment as, ah, that was the moment where I was one degree off and we responded to Jesus and, you know, we, we got on track. Until I realized, until Jesus returns, I'm going to continually have to course correct my one degree off. Every single person seated here, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, you're still one degree off. Not as a heavy, but the moment we think we are not one degree off, we stop asking Jesus, Lord, how do I recalibrate myself, that one degree to what your call is for me now? Leaders, the success that you've had in the past, the radical moments of obedience where you've followed God in the past, it's beautiful, it's part of his story, it's part of the testimony. But there's coming another moment where just like Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. Elisha could have stayed, he could have stayed, but he would have been one degree off. And he said, as long as the Lord lives and as long as you live, I will not loosen myself from you.
Friends, let's stir in our hearts that we will never loosen ourselves from the call of God. Because as we hold true to what he has called us to, he will see his kingdom come and his will being done through us. Two more slides and then I'm wrapping up. Four important stops occurred on this road where Elisha started to follow in Elijah for the last time. Can we go to that, that slide with just the four stops? You literally see them going from, from Gilgal and Elijah says, stay here. And Elisha says, no. They get to Bethel. Elijah says, stay here. And Elisha says, no. They then go to Jericho. Elijah says, stay here. Elisha says, no. And then finally, they cross over the Jordan River. They actually cross out of the promised land into the wilderness. And that is where Elijah gets taken up to heaven and Elisha takes up his mantle. Can you see the difference between when, when the mantle was cast on him, he, he took it up to respond to the call and then he had to walk this journey and then eventually he took up the mantle. He, he embraced the mantle, he put the mantle on. And, and just very quickly, because I don't want to take a lot of time, four ideas about how God is going to encourage you on this process, Forest Town Church. I, I was at a conference and uh, we're talking to a bunch of really amazing leaders. And one of the questions was, how does a local church see a city transformed? And, and the response was incredibly simple, yet incredibly profound. They said, a local church should raise up mature believers and see what God has placed within them spilling out into their city. You guys, you're, you're getting this one claps, we all claps. That's, that's amazing. Give yourself a clap. You like what I did there? Okay. So, so just a thought. For Forest Town Church to walk into the double portion that I believe is your inheritance, each individual sitting on the chairs in this auditorium, those listening online, those not here today, you've got to choose to go on this process of Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. What, what happened at Gilgal? Gilgal was the first place that the Israelites crossed into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. It was the moment when their mindset transitioned from a slavery mindset to a conqueror mindset. Friends, the starting point of the process God wants to take you on is he wants to break you out of the slavery mindset where you see giants and you say the giants are too big. The reason why the first group of Israelites couldn't possess the promised land is not because God hadn't promised them something. It's when they compared the promise to the giants, the giants looked too big. I come from South Africa. If you watch the news about my country, you can mistakenly think, oh my greatness, look at all the giants in South Africa. And you can get distracted about the chaos and the dysfunction and lose sight of the promise. I believe God has promised that from our nation, there would be life flowing out into the nations of the world. So when I see the giants of a dysfunctional electricity grid or the giants of a dysfunctional educational system or the giants of a corrupt government, whatever it is, I look and I say, Lord, I see the giants, but your promise is that you are gonna use South Africa to bless the nations of this world. When you're in St. Albans, what are the giants that you see? 
What are the giants that you see in the UK? What are the giants that you see in Europe? Because God is saying, St. Albans, I've called you, Forest Town Church, to rise up, grab hold of my promises, transition from a slavery mentality where you worry about the giants to a conqueror mentality where you say, bring me the biggest giant. The second place, Bethel, was where Jacob originally encountered God. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and it could have just been blank. But God became Jacob's God because he had an encounter with God where the heavens opened up and he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder and the almighty God above. Friends, once you transition into this mindset of a conqueror, That's fantastic, but you have to have a revelation that you're not gonna conquer by yourself. You're gonna conquer because of the most high God. You have to personally encounter a testimony of God's goodness. And the only way you do that is through some level of hardship or resistance. Jacob had to go through hardship and resistance to really identify this covenantal God and how the covenantal God wanted to change his life. I got to move on. So the, the third place, Jericho. Jericho was this hectic, fortified city where everyone thought it was impenetrable, but God. So the Israelites have crossed into the promised land. They've been through Gilgal. They now get to Jericho. And God gives them a ludicrous strategy around walking around the city for seven days, and on the seventh day, they walk around seven times, but, but there was one very important instruction. Who of you can remember what that was? Before shout. Shh. The shh, before the shout. You can use that. That just came in the moment. It wasn't in my notes. The shh, before the shout. I really believe God wants to give you strategy to be victorious, but we've got to start to learn to stop moaning. Friends, God's church is beautiful. And there are some expressions of the church that that I don't get. There are some expressions that, that I feel they've missed the boat a bit. But the moment I start judging a aspect of God's bride, I'm in trouble. I believe God wants to start to bring big scale victory, but it's gonna require us to start declaring unity from our lips, not comparison, not critique, not just downright words that should never come out of our mouth about brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that God instructed his people to keep quiet for seven days, because if they hadn't, they would have started murmuring. They would have started muttering. They would have started moaning. They would have started talking bad about their leaders. And in that moment of disunity, it would have allowed the enemy to come and destroy what God had planned for their victory. God's been convicting me about how I talk about church leaders where I don't necessarily agree with their means of doing things. He's like, Trev, you get your heart right with me. You align yourself to that one degree and let me speak to my children about them aligning themselves. Friends, for the church to see large-scale victory, 
there has to be large-scale unity. God's desire is for a connected church. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude, Helen and Anne, that, that you would trust us, you would invite us from South Africa to be sowing into this beautiful, beautiful church, this beautiful nation. I mean, what, what could come from a third world nation like South Africa that could benefit a first world nation like Britain? And yet there's something of, of God's beauty in connecting churches, connecting his bride. Friends, sometimes we just need to hold our tongue and say, Lord, I don't understand it. I maybe don't agree with them, but I'm gonna hold my tongue because I know you did an incredible work in a place like Jericho where no one thought it could be overcome. But as people just walk together in unity, not calling out their differences, not calling out how they don't agree with certain things, but they just walked in unity. Look what can happen. And then the final thing, the Jordan. So interestingly, Elijah takes Elisha out of the promised land into the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that Elijah is taken to heaven and Elisha takes up his mantle. And when Elisha gets to the Jordan River, just like Joshua did, just like Elisha did, he takes the cloak and he strikes the water and he walks through back into the promised land on dry ground. Friends, sometimes God has to take us into a place of wilderness even though we are following him, even though we're doing his will. Sometimes it's in the place of wilderness where we get to take up the mantle that God has called us to. Is that okay? I wanna end off with one last question. It's on the slide. And the question for you this morning is what are you willing to do about being one degree off? I can stand here and, and I can share and can stand here and give testimonies. Zach can be up front just, you know, leading us into just a beautiful moment of encountering our God. But if we walk out of this auditorium and something in our heart hasn't shifted to say, God, I want to align. I want to align more to you. The way I'm leading my family, I want to align more to you. The way I'm engaging and, and speaking to my spouse, I want to align more to you. The way I'm representing you at university, I want to align more to you. The way I'm treating my employers and employees, I want to align more to you. Friends, what, what are you willing to do about being one degree off?